Hello, Discover here to explain our cash back match. Here's how it works. We give you cash back for using your Discover card on the things you were going to buy anyway. Then we match that cash back in your first year. And that's why we call it cash back match. Now to recap and say cash back one more time. We match all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year automatically. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Fantasy Football Addicts podcast. We're now only two more weeks from the regular season, and we're knee-deep into draft season. Uh, as always, my name is Mung, and I'm joined by my co-host, The Los. Hey, hey guys, it's Los. Uh, welcome back to another exciting edition of the Fantasy Football Addicts podcast. Yeah, I actually had a, uh, another draft last night, and I have another one coming up soon. Uh, Los, on a scale of one to, let's say, free ice cream, how excited are you for football? Free ice cream? Ooh. Um, I guess, whose ice cream is it? Uh, I, ice cream, you scream. It's all of our ice creams. Yeah, I guess it, it's, it's, oh, well, I meant what brand. But I think, I think we're, I think we're past free ice cream, to be honest. Like, we're almost at the free gelato stage. Are we at the level of Chunky Monkey? Oh, yeah, buddy. You know. All right. So let's get into it. Uh, if you listened to our episode last week, which you should have because we talked about a lot of sleepers, uh, we discussed a lot of undervalued guys that you should be targeting. Now, this episode, we're going to talk about some overvalued players that Los and I are avoiding in our drafts. Um, and then at the end of the show, I want to bring up one super deep sleeper that I didn't have time for last week. So if you zone out of some podcasts like I do sometimes, uh, make sure you tune back in at the end of this one. You won't want to miss about uh, hearing out or hearing about this sleeper. He was so deep, you were even sleeping on him, huh? Yeah, I was. And uh, it, it took another preseason game for me to kind of wake up on him. Was he 20,000 leagues? below sea level oh that's that's not move on <laughs> that was terrible uh anyway so as usual let's start with the quarterback position and uh my overvalued player at quarterback is andrew luck who is currently going in the mid fifth round or so uh and going off the boards at quarterback number three now granted i do think that luck bounces back this year with a healthy moncrief but is the indie offense really going to be that dominant we've got hilton moncrief and dorsett and they'll surely give defensive coordinators fits but the passing attack is still in kind of a tenuous situation their wide receiver depth is really shaky right now and if any of those three starters misses any time i dare you to name even one other wide receiver on the cold step chart right now now Dwayne allen might have a career career year with kobe fleener in new orleans but that's if, and a big if at that, uh, Allen stays healthy, which he has yet to do even while he was splitting snaps with Kobe Fleener. Gore is going to relieve some pressure on Luck, but the offensive line is still mediocre at best and needs to do a much better job of protecting Luck. And so far, Luck has still shown a tendency to hold on to the ball for too long. Now, can and will Luck be a top five fantasy quarterback? Sure, it's possible, but I don't see any reason for him to be drafted right now in the fifth and before guys like Russell Wilson and Drew Brees, both of whom I think are much safer fantasy quarterbacks with higher floors and similarly higher ceilings as luck. Chester Rogers. Say that one more time. Chester Rogers. You, you dared me to name somebody else on the depth chart. Oh, uh, yeah. 
I've never even heard of his name. So, oh. <laughs> uh, and this is after I've looked at a lot of depth charts. Maybe I have heard of his name, but I very quickly forgot it because that's the that's the caliber of guys that we're talking about before Moncrief, or excuse me, after Moncrief and uh, Dorset on the depth chart. Yeah, uh, I agree with you there. Um, I mean, they do have they have they do have a good number of uh, you know starter weapons but but the depth is definitely lacking and we don't even know what Dorset really can do on, on an nfl field yet i mean he's got the speed of course can he slot in and like if ty goes down can he slot in and just replace him possibly i, I don't know though yeah I, I will say i do think that moncrief is the real deal and that he will help out that offense a lot this year but again i, I think luck is just going way too early right now yeah and i mean he was awful last year. I mean, everybody attributes that to the shoulder, uh, the, the shoulder issue, the shoulder injury. Um, and I like to myself cause I drafted him in the first round of a two quarterback league last year. So I like to lay on that crutch, but that might not necessarily be the case. I mean, we've seen two years of, you know, significant success, but you know, if he was a quarterback who's in the league, you know, 10 years and we only saw two years of significant success, we wouldn't really be thinking that highly of him. He definitely wouldn't be quarterback three. Yeah. And I think, again, that luck may very well develop into the next Peyton Manning. But right now he still makes a ton of mistakes and some of them are easily avoidable and definitely on him, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So who's your uh, overvalued guy then? Uh, so my overvalued quarterback, we're going to stay towards the top of the uh, quarterback ranks. Mine is Aaron Rodgers. Um, he's going uh, round four, pick five overall. And that's really the reason. My, I, I'd like to say it was because, actually, I don't want to say that it's because he's a Packer because that would make me a terrible fantasy analyst and I probably shouldn't have a podcast because that's just stupid. But uh, round four, pick five, um, is just too early, in my opinion, for a quarterback to go. When you're saying two full rounds later, guys like Wilson, Breeze, Ben Roethlisberger, who I'm not not necessarily the highest on, but the point is there's plenty of very good quarterbacks still left on the board at that point. So it's more of a it's more of just a reminder in my on my end to not necessarily go that high in quarterback. I mean, there's also a non-zero chance that Aaron Rodgers, everybody's giving the Packers offense a, a break or a pass for last year. There's a non-zero probability that they don't return to the levels of success of 2013, 2014. Um, Eddie Lacy, there's no guarantee he's going to bounce back. Jordy Nelson is coming off, an, uh, off another injury, and we haven't seen him back on the field yet. Randall Cobb just might be that bad. Um, and, and on top of that, a number of undrafted quarterbacks uh, cracked the top, top 10 last year. Blake Bortles was your number four last year. Of course, he's, he's bound to, res, uh, you know, recede in, in value or in uh, in production, but he was still undrafted. Kirk Cousins, number eight quarterback, undrafted. Um, when you're looking at round four value versus undrafted value, cracking the top 10, it, it's a no-brainer to me. Yeah, I think uh, that goes to the argument that in general, uh, you can wait on quarterback a little bit with the position being so deep, but specifically uh, to Rogers' situation, uh, personally, I like him a little bit better than you do I think it sounds like uh, I do think that the offensive line is looking better now that they're healthy um, and, and I think really the the offense's success is going to depend on whether or not Jordy Nelson is back to 100% and whether or not you know he becomes that main receiving weapon again for Rodgers but even if he's back and even if he's the main receiver he's 
I mean, he's quickly being passed up in the league in terms of top talent. Maybe, but but I think that just the sheer talent that Nelson has, and, and maybe more so even uh, just the connection that he has with Rodgers really helps out that offense. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily know that he's even thought about as a top 10, top 12 wide receiver if he's not with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, maybe not, but he is. And I think really if Jordy Nelson is, excuse me, if Jordy Nelson is healthy, then I have no real qualms about drafting Rodgers. That's a big if. A lot to say still. Sure. Uh, I mean, certainly a good sign that he is at least off the pup list now. There we go. All right, then. Uh, let's move on to running backs. And one guy that I think is going a little bit too early for my liking is Chris Ivory, who's currently going in the back half of the seventh round in PPR drafts, going off the board at running back 33. And I just don't see it. Uh, Chris Ivory is in more or less of a 50-50 split with TJ Yeldon. Uh, he might get more goal line carries, but I don't think that Jacksonville is necessarily going to pull Yeldon every time they get into the red zone, uh, particularly with the Jaguars wanting to play in a more up-tempo offense. And at the same time, while they might want to run the ball more, Bortles certainly likes to throw the ball when they get in close. And Yeldon's going to likely see more targets in the passing game. And in PPR leagues, I, I just don't want any part of Chris Ivory at his current ADP because Yeldon is going what, a round or two later in the ninth round of most drafts? And I'd mother, uh, excuse me, I'd much rather take him there over Chris Ivory. And if you're going to draft a running back in a PPR league uh, who doesn't get much work as a receiver, I'd happily target LeGarrette Blunt in the 10th round instead of Chris Ivory. Blunt's figures to see, you know, a good amount of carries with Deion Lewis now needing another surgery. And I think that New England's going to try to run the ball a lot the first four games to take some of that pressure off of Jimmy Garoppolo. Sure. I think, I think Blunt's value is definitely going to climb up the drafts um, as well as James White, but point is well taken. Yeah. I mean, how are you, uh, this is more of a general thing, not necessarily with Ivory, but how are you approaching a backfield like Jacksonville where it is likely to be a pretty even split? So to me that there's value in those backfields. I just don't really like diving into that value. You're never going to get, what you want from it. You're never going to, you don't really have the potential to crack top five um, running back for the week. You, you barely have the potential to really crack top 10. That's why instead of guys that are in um, split carry situations, I really try to target early the, uh, the, the bell cow backs, the guys that are getting the vast majority of the work and then guys that are, you know, basically getting no work unless the, the top guy gets hurt and but then can step in and fill the role. Like, you know, as everybody knows, D'Angelo Williams or like I'm expecting Tevin Coleman to do this year. Um, if I can't, you know, the only reason I turn to one of these backs is if I go, you know, wide receiver heavy and tight and, you know, get Gronk or something in the first, second, early second or late first round or something and then go wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver and then end up having to, you know, make a patchwork. Uh, running back situation together and that I would really only probably plug one of them into the spot just so I have like a guaranteed baseline eight seven points or something something's better than nothing um, but I I prefer to swing for the fences and when you do that you either strike out or you hit a home run okay so you're saying that in general you you prefer to go a sort of studs and duds uh, approach to running back yes okay uh, I can't say that I necessarily disagree I, I think there's still value as you said with the committee guys but it's going to be harder to predict week by week for sure i mean th- this 
might be a year where I buck my trend of that, in fact, just because of all the strength of wide receiver, just depending on how my draft falls. Yeah, that's certainly true. I, I mean, again, every draft is fluid, so you don't, you know, you're not necessarily locked into that approach, but I can, you can I never can be understand. locked in. You have to, it's, a, it's a living, breathing being, the draft. Yeah, I, th- I think you need to be flexible in drafts in general. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes your, your whole plan may change. Like one year, I uh, was this about five, six years ago, I think it was. I, I was getting ready to snag Andrew Luck, and I think it was the 11th round of the draft. I think it was his rookie season. Um, no, it was his, yeah, it was, no, I think it was his second season. And uh, uh, a site which will rename nameless uh, booted me off the, the, uh, the draft. Uh, what, what's this stuff called? the draft software and selected Felix Jones for me instead. Ouch. Yeah. So there was, there was, there was a lot of changing that needed to be done. And just FYI, this is probably three, four years ago. Cause luck has not been in the league that long. Was it really? Gosh, it felt so much longer ago. Maybe was, I just pushed what, drafted it out of my mind. in 2012, right? Yeah, yeah, probably. It was probably his rookie year then. Okay. Um, all right, we're getting way off track here. Let's let's get back to some overvalued players. Yeah, who who are we talking about? Uh, I brought up Chris Ivory. Uh, yeah, I'm fine with that. I have a little more faith in him than you, to be honest. I think that he might be better than Yeldon, as a matter of fact, this year. Um, that said, I'm not excited about either of them. Sure. Uh, I think it's a preference call, but I prefer Yeldon and PPR. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're allowed to have our differences. All right, who do you have then? Um, so going back to, uh, the top of depth charts for a lot of people's draft sheets, um, I'm going to bring up the guy who's going running back number one overall. Uh, he's a lot of drafts are take, uh, right now he's, yeah, looks like he's going fifth overall, um, in a lot of mocks and that is David Johnson. Um, I, I don't want to turn into a broken record. I've already talked about David Johnson. Um, I think he's overvalued. I think Chris Johnson's going to get a good, good not the lion's share, obviously, but he can get a lamb's share of the work and he's going to cut in David Johnson's value. Um, I think there's still a pass first offense and I am looking for David Johnson's receiving numbers, not uh, to at least, I mean, you're, you're drafting David Johnson based on what he did last year. And, and it's scary to always uh, draft somebody based on their highest of highs. You got to sort of expect a recession and taking him over guys like Todd Gurley, over guys like Lamar Miller. It, it's, uh, even pre- uh, it's crazy to me. I, I don't know. I, it's way too quick, way too early. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I, I do think that Johnson will be fine. I think he'll return a good amount of value at his draft price. I just don't know that he's worth that spot. Um, I do think that Chris Johnson and even Andre Ellington are still going to see, you know, plenty of reps uh, in that offense. I, I just, I think it's clear to everybody that David Johnson is by far the most talented running back on that. Oh, chart. sure. Um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, they're, they're not going to give work to Chris Johnson either, because again, their goal is a Super Bowl and they don't want to run him into the ground early in the season. Exactly. And who knows what portion of the offense that Chris Johnson will be in. And I, I mean, week three of the preseason is almost upon us. And that's really the most telling of the, of the preseason week. So who knows? It, it may change my tune, but, I, but I'm not expecting it to just yet. Yeah. And if anything, he'll at least spell Johnson. So I, I would say he would get maybe 70% of the work, 60 to 70. David Johnson. You can't just say Johnson. Yeah. Right? Sorry. David Johnson. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, I'm expecting at least 70%. Yeah. 
Okay, so I mean, he's still a relatively safe, uh, you know, player to pick at at that ADP. Yeah, he's not necessarily dropping out of my second or anything crazy like that. I I just don't see him as running back one. Sure, you just have better options ahead of him. Yeah, absolutely. I, how can you not have Todd Gurley ahead of him? I don't understand. Uh, I certainly do in my ranks. Yeah. Uh, which, exactly. by the way, you can find at fantasyfootballaddicts.weebly.com. W e e b l y. That is correct. All right, moving on. Um, right. I want to go back down in ADP and uh, talk about a guy who's going actually right behind Chris Ivory in many drafts, uh, mm-hmm. right around the early eighth round, running back 34, and that's Amir Abdullah. Now, we saw that crazy juke uh, where he just took it to the house in the last preseason, and you know his hype train got started right there. That was um, a long time ago. That was. Um, and again, I'm not arguing that Amir Abdullah yeah. isn't very talented, um, but this is another quote-unquote starting running back who's going to be lucky to see more than 50% of the team's workload. Yeah. Abdullah isn't the biggest guy at 5'9", 200 pounds, and I just don't see him as a workhorse. Uh, I don't think that Detroit does either because um, you know they also have Zach Zenner there, and he's a pounder who flashed last season before he went on IR. And I think that Zenner could very well see a lot of goal line carries. And I, I think that most people are expecting that the third down passing back role uh, is pretty firmly cemented for Theo Riddick. Uh, this is a guy who's a dynamic receiving running back, and Riddick can make some game-breaking plays in space. Uh, the Detroit backfield in general is just another situation where I'd much rather own the cheaper players. Uh, you know, I'd rather go with Theo Riddick going almost around later in the late eighth, early ninth, or even Zach Zenner, who's available usually in the last round of your draft. The cost is just too high for me to draft Abdullah where he's going. Yeah, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. Um, I like Riddick better in a PPR, and Zenner's going to steal value. Open and shut. Yeah, I mean, it's a three-headed monster, and I, I really want no part of it. Yeah, they're, they're going to throw the ball a lot, a lot, a lot in Detroit this year. I expect them to be the Diet Coke of the New Orleans Saints, essentially. What does that even mean? <laughs> like if, if New Orleans is, is Coke, you know, Coke, Coca-Cola, can, you know, they're going to you know, throw the ball around a lot, spread the field, you know, have a lot of receptions to a lot of different targets. Um, tight end in the game, you know, both wide receivers, a pass catching running back, and they're going to be firing on all cylinders. Well, Detroit is Diet Coke. They're like a, a step back because they're going to do have the, a very, very similar game plan, you know, hitting their wide receivers, you know, Jones, Tate, Eric Ebron, if he can keep himself on the field, Theo Riddick, um, a lot of spreading the value around. Uh, if you want to keep the, the metaphor going, would you like to keep the metaphor going? I, I think I get what you're saying, but thank okay. you for that very uh, in-depth explanation there. But certainly uh, I, I do think that the Lions are going to run a ton of plays with Jim Bob Cooter at the helm of that offense. Uh, I think they want to go up-tempo. They want to go hurry up. Um, so certainly a lot of opportunity there. I, I just think that it's going to be hard to... It's almost like a Patriots uh, backfield situation where they're going to game script and you know Zenner or Riddick might see a lot of work one week and then Abdullah might have a few weeks here and there where he gets the most carries. You know, you really took the wind out of my sails. I was going to talk about vanilla Pepsi, which is Washington Redskins and, and RC Cola or diet, right? Or Shasta, which is Miami dolphins. But you know what? Fine. That's, that's, what, what team would you say is uh, my favorite beverage, which is diet cherry vanilla Coke? I, th- 
that's as far as the metaphor went. <laughs> All right, let's move on then. Okay, who's another guy that you're uh, trying to avoid in drafts? Jerk. Uh, okay so i'll stay in the same same range since you don't want to talk about uh running backs people care about uh let's talk about derrick henry um this guy's going uh, just right after amir abdullah and uh in the middle of the eighth round um running back 36 uh which does not sound high until you actually look at the numbers and realize um that this guy who is solidly the number two running back um behind DeMarco Murray, who Tennessee is paying money to be there. Let's not forget DeMarco Murray, who led the lead in rushing two years ago and was horribly under uh, misutilized last year, um, can still be very successful on this Tennessee team. Derrick Henry has minimal value, if any, to me. Um, David Cobb, is he, he's not an afterthought. Ju- he's an afterthought, but he's not dead just yet. You know, he's, he's still got a pulse. Um, people are taking in PPR leagues, Derek Henry ahead of the likes of guys we talked about last week who have ridiculously good value. Uh, Charles Sims, Lal Powell, who are both, I, th- I think some of our top handcuffs that can give you flex appeal value can give you flex value. And then if their starter uh, goes down, give you, you know, top 10 running back value themselves. Um, Theo Riddick, who's phenomenal in the PPR. Tevin Coleman, who's probably my top handcuff this year. Well, I guess after D'Angelo Williams, but he's like three rounds before that or something. So that's a whole nother case whatsoever. Uh, uh, LeGarrette Blunt, who is bound to rise up on rankings now with the news of uh, Deion Lewis. But those names are all going um, in a round after Derrick Henry. Yeah, I would certainly prefer to have all of, you know, Powell, Blunt, all, most of the guys that you named there ahead of Henry. And I think a lot of people are making the argument that, oh, you know, the Tennessee Titans want to run the ball a lot. You know, they want to be uh, more of a power running team. They certainly uh, traded for that in great offensive lineman, uh, sending Doriel Green Beckham. But mm-hmm. we can talk about that another time. Um, but yeah, I mean, but I think they're missing the fact that their defense isn't quite there yet. They're certainly making improvements, but I, I think that the Titans are still going to be behind in a lot of games. And I do think that, uh, they're not going to be able to run the ball quite as much as they want to. Um, and, and certainly I agree that Henry's overvalued, uh, the cop, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> frog my throat there. The caveat being that I do think that if anything were to happen to Marco Murray, uh, Henry would, would very possibly be a top 20 running back I, I do think that if he gets a chance murray's not getting that job back so you think if murray goes down and and henry comes in and outperform and performs very well that murray would would just not come back to the field no i, I think murray would still sub him but i think that henry would take that job from him mm, i don't i, I mean it's tough any for any rookie to break it in. Now, of course, he's the number two rookie running back for this season. But I mean, rookies have a lot of tr- it, the the recent surge of amazing rookies is an aberration. It's it's extraordinary. Okay, I mean, well, we can certainly you know hypothesize that uh, if and when anything happens to Demarco Murray during the season. But certainly, I agree with you right now that Henry is being overvalued. Sure. And and Tennessee's offense just isn't that good anyways. What? You mean with superstar in, in the making Tajay Sharp? <laughs> well, we yeah, can, we can exactly. talk about Sharp another <laughs> that's, time. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's, uh, speaking of Sharp, let's move on to wide receivers then. 
Um, and one guy that I wanted to bring up who I think is going insanely early in drafts right now is Kelvin Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin's being drafted in the late third round in PPR drafts, going off the board at wide receiver 21. And Benjamin's being drafted ahead of guys like Golden Tate, Jeremy Macklin, Eric Decker, Dante Moncrief, Jordan Matthews, just to name a few as I'm scrolling down the list here. And that's absolutely mind-boggling to me because Benjamin had 73 catches for about 1,000 yards and 9 touches in his rookie season in 2014. But that's a lot less, ex- excuse me, that's a lot less impressive when you look at the whole picture. Uh, in 2014, Cam Newton's other wide receivers were Philly Brown, Jericho Cotri, and Brenton Burson. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Brenton Burson, he is, he is something. Yeah. So, of course, in Benjamin's rookie season, he's going to be a target monster when those are his quarterback's options. Now, uh, Cam Newton has Devin Funchess, who might be still raw, but certainly improving, and Ted Ginn, who's maddeningly, maddeningly inconsistent. But both are definite upgrades over that wide receiver core from 2014. Now, arguably, Funchess is just as good as Benjamin in the red zone. Uh, both guys are 6'5 and about 240 pounds. And we did see Funchess improve a lot late in the season last year. Again, will drop half of his targets, but he still brings speed as a deep threat to the table. So most of the long touchdowns are still going to go to Ginn. And speaking of drops, Kelvin Benjamin's catch rate in 2014? 50%. At their current ADPs, I'd much rather take a shot at Funchess in the 10th round of drafts right now, or even Ginn in the 14th, than Benjamin in the 3rd round. Yeah, it'd be hard for me to take Benjamin that high in in the late third. Um, I mean, that's essentially that's your number two wide receiver, essentially, unless you go running back heavy early. Then that's your top wide receiver. I can't really imagine that. That's um, he's he's too inconsistent. Uh, sure, he has a lot of upside, but I like I like more sure-handed, you know, better players at that point um, in the draft, especially when they showed like how effective they were without him at all in the offense last year. This team was in the Super Bowl without Kelvin Benjamin taking a snap in the regular season. Yeah, and, and that's not even mentioning Greg Olson, who's going to be a target monster too. Haven't even brought his name up, exactly. Yeah, I just I don't understand how he's going in the third round after missing a whole season. It It's like 2015 never happened. Yep, but it definitely did. Are, are we sure about that? Oh, I'm sure. I remember it. <laughs> you think you remember it? Hmm, maybe I don't. Is anything really happening? W- what if those memories were implanted? What if these plants were all memories? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly the same thing. Um, okay, let's move on from Benjamin then. Who do you got? Sure. Um, a guy, a guy I mentioned, well, I didn't bring him up by name, but he's part of that RC Cola offense. Uh, Jarvis Landry is going, uh, early fifth, early third round, sorry, even worse than early fifth round, early third round. Um, before the likes of all those guys you just mentioned, um, with, with the addition of, uh, Sammy Watkins, uh, Tate, I don't know if you mentioned him. I don't remember Baldwin. Um, all these guys that you mentioned, I would much rather have to Jarvis Landry. Uh, sure. He was the, I believe he was the wide receiver 15, um, last year in the, in a PPR. Uh, but, and that's basically exactly where he's being drafted. I don't see a way for him to match that production. Devonte Parker is coming on in 
in a fairly strong way. I mean, he's not, you know, overpowering. He's not dominating or anything. But in the in the final weeks of the year last year, um, he was definitely carving himself a very nice role. Um, and I, I think he's going to decrease Landry's value. I think the um, Miami offense itself, how it's going to run, is going to decrease his value. Um, I think that these, this offense does take a bit of a step back uh, after losing Lamar Miller, having to rely now on Ajayi and Foster, who may be on the field, may not be on the field for a good portion of the season. Um, but, yeah, uh, I don't see a way. Like, you're drafting Landry to at least match exactly his production last year, and I don't see that being possible. Uh, you know what? Uh, this is actually going to be a guy that I'm going to need to disagree with you on because okay. I think that Landry um, is definitely worth his ADP right now. Uh, and here's why. I, I believe in Adam Gase. I think that he's going to make that offense run pretty smoothly despite losing Lamar Miller. Um, Arian Foster may not play all 16 games, but I think that when he is on the field, that that offense is going to be just fine. Um, and you, you mentioned Devontae Parker, who I'm a big fan of. But at the same time, I do think that Tannehill and Landry have built up quite a rapport over the last couple of years. I think that Tannehill actively looks for Landry, often on his first as his first read. And I think that Landry is his safety blanket or checkdown option and that he's still going to see upwards of 150 targets. Of course, Adam Gase, the only ex-bear that you still like. Except, I guess, for Martellus. Yeah, we've we've, uh, debunked that myth. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I think that if it came down to it, I'm looking at the ADP right now. Uh, Landry's going just after Demarius Thomas and right before Sammy Watkins um, and also before Randall Cobb. But then we get into the likes of Julian Edelman and Kelvin Benjamin, and I think I'm fine taking a shot on Landry right around those guys. Mm, yeah, I just don't like it. Edelman's for sure going to get a lot more looks than than Landry. I, I, I mean, I think you're you're under under appreciating the fact that Ryan Tannehill's garbage. <laughs> that doesn't mean he can't make those five, ten, fifteen yard throws to to Jarvis Landry, though. Yeah, I guess I guess you have a point. Um, speaking of, you know, he wasn't on my list, but uh, you mentioned Edelman, and I, I think that he's actually being overvalued right now as well. Um, really? Just a real quick tangent here on Edelman, uh, because last year he got a ton of targets and he actually had a career high in touchdowns, which I don't think is going to happen again. And this year uh, they may have lost Deion Lewis, but they still got James White. Uh, they've added Martellus Bennett. He and Gronk are going to see a ton of targets. And I just don't think that Edelman's going to be nearly as involved in the red zone offense as he was last year. Mm-hmm. Certainly, certainly not significantly overvalued, but I think I would drop him a few spots from where he's currently going in the uh, in the ADP. I mean, I guess given the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be throwing in his direction to start the season, that that isn't necessarily reassuring. True, uh, we have yet to see whether uh, you know Garoppolo is going to be good or not, but certainly not uh, not Tom Brady. Yeah, definitely. All right, so another guy, uh, and I, Los, you probably knew this was coming, um, because you know I hate Marcus Whedon. Yep, yep, you do. <laughs> and Marcus Whedon is going in the 10th round, the early 10th round of drafts right now in PPR, uh, as the wide receiver 48, uh, but that's still way too high. Um, he's being drafted just after guys like Michael Thomas, and he's being drafted before wide receivers like Devin Funchess, Tavon Austin. Philip Dorsett and Tyler Boyd and about 800 other guys that I'd rather take over <laughs> Wheaton. 
Um, I, and I think that the love is because that, you know, Whedon had that 200 yard and a touchdown game against Seattle last year. Uh, but that is the definition of a fluke. I, I would bet large, large sums of money that Whedon never has another 200 yard receiving game in his career. And I don't think he'll even have a 100 yard game this season. I don't care that Martavis Bryant is suspended or that Ladarius Green might not play a single snap this year. Um, you know, Sammy Coates is a lot faster than Whedon and a better deep threat despite being inconsistent. And Eli Rogers has kind of emerged in the slot as a more agile and elusive receiver for those quick underneath routes. And, you know, for those tough third down conversions, I expect to see plenty of J Jesse James and, you know, the running backs. The I, road dog, Jesse James. <laughs> exactly. Um, I just, I don't see any way that Marcus Whedon is particularly relevant in that offense. I think he'll make nice plays for the Steelers. Uh, but in fantasy, I, I think that, you know, it's going to be all those guys or it's going to be Antonio Brown seeing 200 plus targets. I just, I don't know how to stress this enough, but Marcus Whedon is at best an average NFL wide receiver. No, you know, no offense to him, but you know, he's the least in inspiring. I don't think he'll take offense to you, Mung. I think he'll be okay. I'm just saying, you know, I understand that sometimes... He's going to go cry in his millions of dollars. I, I'm just saying that, you know, sometimes we forget that these players are real people and they have feelings. But I'm saying that Marcus Whedon is the least inspiring weapon on that Pittsburgh offense. And if you want to draft him in, you know, the 15th, 16th round, fine. Prove me wrong, but don't spend a 10th round pick on him when there's a ton of better players going right around that ADP. But if you draft him in the last round, who's going to play kicker? You know what? I'd I'd rather I'd rather see Marcus Wheaton do well. I, I you know I'd love to see him prove me wrong. I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Um. I again, uh, Sammy Coates is one of my one of my sleepers that I that I touched on last week. So you know that I don't disagree with you. Um. I like Marcus Wheaton a lot better going into last season. I can see I can understand people uh, going going after him in the tenth round, which is essentially two thirds of the way through the draft at this point. Um. Just because, uh, as you aforementioned, Martavis Bryant not playing the season, Antonio Brown, um, them having to throw the football to somebody else. I mean. Teams are teams are going to lock down Antonio Brown. Now they're they're going to fail at locking down Antonio Brown, but they're going to try. Yeah, just but 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 why why Marcus Whedon? I'd rather take oh, yeah, a shot no, no, at I, Sammy I, yeah, Coates I, I if, like if that's anymore. what you're going to go for. You know, if you want a piece of that Pittsburgh offense, or go for Jesse I mean, James. It's a Pittsburgh offense that could. He he's I guess he's a boomer bust, but it's it's too early for a guy that. You know, I, I just don't care for that much. Yeah, I'm going to go go out on a limb here and say more bust than boom. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's move on before uh, before we bash Marcus Wheaton a little too much. Hey, I, I was supportive of him. He he likes me. Uh, he probably wouldn't like me if, if he met me. I, I don't think any of our listeners would like you if they met you. <laughs> well, uh, agree to disagree there, I guess. Yeah, jeez. Um, all right. Alan Hearns. Wait, wait, hold six. on real quick. Uh, what are you talking about? I'm a very likable guy. Wait, what? I'm a very likable guy. I think a lot of our listeners would like me. Dan, what do you think? Dan, Dan's, Dan's shaking. Dan's, is he? No, he Dan, is, but Dan's he's, sleep, he's he? shaking his head silently. Man, Super you... producer Dan, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> all right. Thank you. All right. Uh, wide receiver 31 off the board right now uh, in current ADPs. 
Uh, round six, start of round six, Alan Hearns. Um, I don't necessarily dislike this player. I just think that Jacksonville is primed for a recession. Recession's a big word, and it's not even the right word. But they, I think you're trying uh, to say regression. regression. <laughs> That's the word. They're, they're, they're bound for a regression. And he is going before the uh, before names like Emmanuel Sanders, which is plus minus. I could see I could see both sides of that. Personally, I'm still on the Sanders bandwagon. Um, his his talent just speaks for itself over Alan Hearns. Uh, Devontae Parker, who I think is being probably undervalued at the expense of Jarvis Landry this year. Um, and then he's still being taken uh, to, to flip flip gears. He's being taken ahead of the likes of Jonathan Stewart and Frank Gore. Um, now taking Alan Hearns, who I see as maybe a wide receiver three at best over two bona fide starting uh, running backs in the NFL is, is just a, a little bit crazy for me, um, especially Frank Gore, but Jonathan Stewart, you know, helped lead them to, to the Super Bowl, of course he didn't lead them. Cam Newton led them, but Frank Gore. I, I don't know how many people realize this, but he was running back twelve in standard last year with the abysmal uh, Indianapolis Colts of last year. He was running back fourteen in PPR last year, and I, of course that team doesn't necessarily have to do better than they did last year. But it, it's 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 a virtual lock. It's a lock of the century that they will ha have a better offense this year than last. And and you're you're passing up a very viable running back too, um, for Alan Hearns. To me, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I actually like Hearns a lot as a player, but uh, I think we've talked about this in the past in the off season that you know I I think that Hearns is going to regress a lot. I I fully expect to see uh, fewer passing touchdowns in general, and I think some of those are going to go to Julius Thomas. Um, and looking at his ADP, I'd much rather have a lot of guys going right after him. Kobe Fleener, Tyler Lockett, Marvin Jones. Uh, you mentioned Devontae Parker uh, and uh, Frank Gore, but also Sterling Shepard. I think that he's going to step up. Uh, just, yeah, a ton of players I'd rather have over Hearns at that current draft price. Yep. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I think a lot of people kind of, you know, look at 2015 stats and kind of, uh, use that as a as a starting point for their drafts, and that, I don't think that's the best way to do it. I mean, it's definite recency bias, but it's it's you know you get excited, you see a guy, uh, a quarterback in his first year, Blake Bortles, come and and essentially revitalize this office, breathe, breathe a you know some fresh air into it that hasn't been seen since Maurice Jones Drew was on the team, and and even not since Maurice Jones Drew was young and on this team. Um, th this is not something people are used to in Jacksonville, pu putting up big numbers like that. Yeah, and I think that there's just not going to be enough targets to go around, and I, I do think that, you know, uh, Blake Bortles is no Drew Brees, and that, that is going to be, you know, kind of a divvied-up uh, offense in terms of targets. I do believe that as Julius Thomas came on more in the season last year, that Alan Hearns' production stayed where it was. He's, he's a bona fide superstar, but... Wait, I'm sorry. Alan Robinson's numbers stayed where they were, bona fide superstar, but Alan Hearns did regress. Yeah, I mean, that said, he will have those blow-up games, but I see him as, oh, sure. you know, more of a Deshaun Jackson wide receiver three type than where he's, you know, being being drafted right now. That That's an excellent comp, as a matter of fact. Yeah, because I think a lot of those were, you know, relatively long touchdown passes in, in garbage time for games. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, uh, actually, that's a great transition because uh, the next guy that I want to talk to, uh, or excuse me, talk about... Let's uh, talk to him. <laughs> I wish I could talk to him, actually. And that's, uh, we're moving on to tight ends here. I think Jordan Reed is overvalued right now. 
How are you going to tra- use garbage time to transition into Washington? Oh, uh, I know, because Captain Kirk's going to lead the team to so many victories that the second half of every game is just going to be garbage time. First off, I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't insulting your beloved Kirk Cousins. I was saying that's a transition because we just mentioned uh, uh, D- Deshaun Jackson with Alan oh, Hearns. But okay. uh, since you've, you know, so uh, so quickly defending your boyfriend here, um, I Pe- do think that Pepsi uh, Vanilla. <laughs> Pepsi Vanilla. Um, is that what or is it Vanilla Pepsi? I haven't really drank pop in quite some time. Pop or soda? That's a whole yeah. different debate. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll call it a draw for now. Okay. Um, all right. So Jordan Reed going in the early fourth round of drafts right now in PPR uh, off the boards at tight end number two overall. That's, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about this because, sure, Jordan Reed is a dominant tight end who could rival Gronk in fantasy. And I'll 100% admit that in the current Washington offense, Reed has monster potential. But that's if he stays healthy. Now, I know a lot of people are going to argue that Gronk has also struggled, struggled with injuries during his Struggle. career. Man, I'm just I'm, I'm having trouble talking today. I'm not even drunk or anything. I'm 100 percent sober. I swear. Have a little drink of water. It's not, you, you sound dry. You, you know, sound like your, your salivary glands are blocked up or something. Get it, Dan. Get this man a lemon head. You know, I actually I'm going to take a quick sip of water, uh, if you will. Please. Ah, very refreshing, but not as refreshing as diet vanilla cherry Pepsi Coke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so. I know that a lot of people also argue that Gronk has struggled with injuries during his career, but the broken arm was on a special teams play, um, and re-breaking the arm was just really bad luck, and Gronk's torn ACL, and these are all, you know, kind of one-off random injuries that really no one has any way of being, uh, you know, predicting. Uh, And none of these types of injuries are at particularly high risk of recurring. Sure, in general, most injuries are difficult to predict, but there's still a likelihood that, you know, recurring soft tissue type injuries, for example, the ones that Jordan Reed has suffered, uh, are are a lot more um, likely to recur. Now, since entering the league in 2013, Jordan Reed has only played in 24 out of a possible 48 games. Uh, For you non-math people, that's 50%. And Reed hasn't suffered those freak injuries like Gronk's. Uh, and he hasn't, you know, been unlucky enough to tear an ACL, knock on wood. But he has suffered just a litany of hamstring and ankle injuries as well as multiple concussions. And there were even some reports a couple of years ago that retirement was a possibility if Jordan Reed suffered another one. Now, these are, you know, again, closely monitored by the NFL now. And while Greek might have, excuse me, while Reed might have Gronk upside. He also has Ladarius Green downside right now. He's being drafted around the same ADP as Kelvin Benjamin, who we just discussed. And I think, uh, again, I'd rather have the same guys who are going after both of them, Macklin, Decker, Moncrief, Jordan Matthews, or, you know, I'd rather even go quarterback early and get Rodgers or Luck than take Jordan Reed. Yeah, you... you I think you hit the nail on the head. What? Oh gosh, that's a that's a terrible transition into what I'm about to say. Um, with the uh, with the concussions, they they 
he was safe last year. He was doing very well last year. He uh, did not have recurrence last year, but um, just look at guys like Troy Aikman. Look at, you know, Jim McMahon. Concussions without getting too technical, without getting too involved. Um, you can watch the Will Smith movie if you really want to get into it. Concussions are not an injury that you ever fully recover from per se um, once you have a concussion it's easier it's far easier as a matter of fact to get the next one um, and you know just being driven down into the ground yeah, on a tackle is is enough to trigger it it's it's a lot of times being uh, caught you know depleted from from a lateral move you know so somebody coming across that you didn't see somebody blindsiding you in essence um, it could be enough to cause another one and um, if, if he suffers a concussion this year, I'm expecting at least, you know, you have to expect two, three, four weeks um, being knocked out of production for you. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, right now, if somebody asked me to take an over under on, you know, number of games played or at least played fully healthy for Jordan Reed, I would take, you know, the under on 13, 12, 13 games. Yeah, and I think that's the safest way to look at it. Um, if you draft, uh, the lucky thing is if you're in a shallow enough league, league, you can go ahead, take the risk on Jordan Reed, and then if something does happen, uh, God forbid, um, go ahead and grab somebody who will be undrafted like uh, Ben Watson. Yeah, and again, I mean, I, I want to be crystal clear here. I understand that every player uh, you know, is possible to get injured and you know, miss the rest of the season. But I'm saying that specific types of injuries, like those soft tissue injuries, um, are more likely to recur. Look at Arian Foster. You know, actually, I would comp Jordan Reed as almost the Arian Foster of tight ends. Yeah. Okay. I I could see that. Um, <clears throat> and to to not to not to say so uh, doom and gloom, grim and you know scariness with with the concussions, with the injuries. Um, tight ends a very volatile position. Uh, last year. And and for this reason, I think, I mean, I, dare I say it, I, I hope, you know, I don't get struck by lightning or something right now. I, Gronk might even be a little overvalued right now in the first round. Um, I, I know Shut I up. said it. I Did said you it. Take that back. Three of the top 10 scoring tight ends last year were all undrafted. Reed is one of them. Gary Barnage, undrafted. Ben Watson, completely undrafted and also going undrafted this year. Um, uh, uh, Rogers went in round 13 or 14. Gates went or thirteen went in thirteen or later. There's a lot of value to be had deep in drafts in in tight ends. Now, of course, the top guys are gonna maybe propel you a little further. Gronk is gonna give you an extra, you know, two three points guaranteed per week over over the next guy. But you know, it, it's a very it's it's a changing position. Yeah, and I will say that for those who do want to take the risk on Jordan Reed, I understand why. I, I think that when he's healthy and on the field, I think he's a basically a lock for tight you know top three tight end production and point points per game uh and i just personally think that the injury risk is too high there from a guy that we've seen suffer just so many injuries um and real quick notes i will say that if anything does happen to jordan reed again uh you know we're hoping the best for him uh, i think that niles paul is very interesting a lot of people are forgetting that niles paul was actually um, the starting tight end in Washington last year before he got hurt over Jordan Reed. And I think that he's flashed quite a bit of talent as well. Yeah, very capable backup right there. Yeah, and, you know, this is actually, again, a perfect segue into uh, the guy that I want to talk about. Uh, real quick, do you have any sleeper tight ends that you want to discuss? Um, no, there's, there's, 
sleeper tight ends or overvalued or, or overvalued ones overvalued sorry yeah no i was just gonna echo your sentiment and that's that's essentially what what i did okay um so sorry i, I said sleeper tight end when i meant overvalued because yeah, you're getting a little too excited <laughs> I'm, captain, I'm getting... captain tight end or bust over here I'm getting real excited because... Uh, oh, yeah. I love excitement. I really... Don't call me Ric Flair. Ric Flair never <laughs> did that once in his life. I wasn't gonna. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, yeah, I'm... Uh, ooh, I am... I am. I need to take a sip of water real quick before I get into this next wow, guy. Wow, you are parched, man. You are, you are dry as a desert. All right, so speaking of, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, a, a minute ago... Guys like Gary Barnage, who vaulted into the top five tight ends after going undrafted. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that this player that I'm about to mention has that very same chance to do the exact same thing. Uh, this oh. is a tight end who's currently going undrafted in the vast majority of drafts, who I think has top five upside. I think I know. Are you ready for yes. this? Vernon Davis. <laughs> Very close. Uh, Virgil Ooh. Green. <laughs> oh, okay. So bear with me here because I'm about to go into kind of a long-winded rant about uh, Virgil Green. You on a long-winded rant? <laughs> I know, right? Who would have thought? Um, now, this is a guy who's a former high school basketball star that played tight end at Nevada. Denver drafted both Virgil Green and Julius Thomas in 2011. Uh, neither saw much action as rookies with Daniel Fells starting that year. Now, Julius Thomas missed all of 2012 due to injury, and Virgil Green barely saw the field either, playing behind Jacob Tamme and Joel Dreesen. Uh, of course, we all know that in 2013, Julius Thomas broke out in a big way and basically cemented his status as the starter. Now... Jacksonville signed him in 2015, but surprisingly, surprisingly enough last year, Virgil Green still, uh, while he played a decent amount, he was used mostly as a blocker to help protect an aging and immobile Peyton Manning. Uh, most of the passing tight end work went to Owen Daniels. But now, after five seasons, it's finally time. It's time. Oh, it's time. It's time. It's Virgil time. Oh, it is. Now, listen, whoever the starting Denver quarterback's going to be, they're going to be running a true Gary Kubiak offense instead of the hybrid scheme last year that was basically designed for Manning. Now, the Kubiak offense normally requires the quarterback to be mobile in a lot of design rollouts and play-action passes, and a lot of these target the tight end. When Kubiak was the offensive coordinator for Baltimore in 2014, the Ravens' tight ends combined for 74 catches, almost 800 yards, and five touchdowns on 115 targets, which was about 21% of Flacco's total targets. Now, prior to that, in Kubiak's final year as the Houston head coach in 2013, the Texans' tight ends combined, forget this, 92 catches, 1,041 yards, and nine touchdowns. And that combined for about 25% of the team's total pass attempts. Oh, and by the way, the quarterbacks in 2013 for the Houston Texans, Matt Schaub and Case Keenum. So whatever you think of Mark Sanchez, Trevor Simeon, and Paxton Lynch, Gary Kubiak's tight ends have produced before with far inferior quarterbacks throwing them the football. Now, 
the reason that I'm so excited is because I, I first looked at uh, Virgil Green a little more closely because the Broncos played the our beloved Chicago Bears in the first week of preseason. And through two preseason games, Virgil Green has caught all seven of his targets for 83 yards. And But more importantly, he was very often the first read on those plays. Now, th- this is a guy who's 6'3", 250 pounds, and ran a 4'6", 40-yard dash, uh, which is in the 94th percentile for tight ends. Green's broad jump and vertical jump, two measurables that are often used to determine a player's catch radius, both scored in the 99th percentile for tight end. No matter which quarterback starts, Green is going to be targeted plenty, and Jeff Hireman and Garrett Graham are not threats to steal playing time. Green is by far uh, the Denver Broncos' best blocking and receiving tight end right now. He's got top five upside. I think that his ceiling is 1,000 yards and double-digit touchdowns, and he's currently going undrafted. Is he actually going to do that? I don't know. But there are far, far worse lottery tickets to stash at the end of your roster, and you can get green cheap right now in the last round of your draft. For now. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> oh, are you done? I am done. I, I'm I'm never gonna knock anybody for uh, digging deep on a sleeper right there, and I thought that I think that's a really really good find by you, as a matter of fact, Monk. So I do commend you. Uh, good work. Uh, you, you're you're a smart man. You know what you're talking about, and uh, you you can uh, you know you can analyze football. I like it. Is that it? I was I was expecting more praise. I. Uh, what do you want me to do? Give you like a, a hug or a, or a trophy or? or uh, actually, uh, both sound um, pretty nice. Of Fig Newton? Nah, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of Fig Newtons. I, I think that I'd prefer an Oreo. You're going to bury Fig Newtons? Fig Newtons are great. They're great for you. They keep you regular and they taste good. Do you know that they were named for a town in Massachusetts and not Isaac Newton? Fig, Massachusetts? <laughs> Newton, Massachusetts, I think. Oh, okay. That's where Isaac Newton was from? Uh, yeah, let's, let's roll with that. I thought he was European. Uh, he is. That was a joke. That was sarcasm. In case, uh, in case you were wondering, Los. But Boston was was founded by Europeans. Uh, you're not wrong there. Uh, how long did it take you to pass the eighth grade? I'm not following any of this logic of yours. <laughs> it's okay. I I felt the need to ramble a little bit after that long winded rant about Virgil Green. Yeah, my my brain got parched uh, with that one. That was that was. That was good. Sorry to bore y'all, but uh, for anyone who cared, uh, here, here's the TLDR version. Uh, draft Virgil Green as your sleeper tight end in the late rounds. Tolder? Yeah, Tolder. Oh, okay. Matthew Tolder. He's the he's fullback for the Carolina. Mike Tolbert. Is yeah, who his, you're thinking his brother. Of. Oh, okay. Yeah, good save yeah. there. Uh-huh. All right, um, that's all I got. I, I think I've talked enough for for this episode after that, you know, ten minute speech there. So, uh, anything else you want to chime in on with Green or anyone else? Uh, no, I, I chimed in my chime on on, uh, on Virgil Green. Um, Virgil Green also shares a shares a uh, first name with the recently departed uh, Virgil Runnels, but better known to the masses by Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream. So, uh, may he rest in peace. Uh, Okay. Well, uh, as we get closer and closer to the regular season, we hope that you will continue tuning in and if not listening, at least downloading our podcast. Um, And as always, you can 
tweet us questions as we are getting close to the season. Uh, I am at FFA underscore Mung. That's M-E-N-G. And of course, as always, I'm at, way to completely no-sell all of my wrestling references this episode. I, I don't know if they're just completely over your head or if you just think I'm going bananas over here. Um, go ahead and uh, tweet me at FFA underscore LOS Los. Um, go ahead and uh, send a tweet at uh, Super Producer Dan's way at FFA underscore Dan. Thank him for all the good work. Um, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, like I just said, uh, feel free to send us any questions and hashtag them FFAQs, Fantasy Football Addicts Questions. Again, hashtag FFAQs. That's the Qs. Um, and then uh, so go ahead and subscribe on your podcast so that it automatically downloads into your mobile device or your uh, tablet, whatever streaming device you're using in the iTunes store or in that podcasting, that nice purple podcasting app. Um, where else can you find us on the interwebs, Mung? You can also find our rankings uh, at fantasyfootballaddicts.weebly.com. That's W-E-E-B-L-Y. Um, and as always, it's a fantasy world and we're all just addicts in it. Thanks, addicts. Virgil Green. <laughs>